Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Hello. Welcome back to Think This Way, the podcast of Faith Bible Church. I am Pastor Bryce, and today I have with me Pastor Elder Dan. Dan, thanks for being here with us. Hey, thank you for having me. Dan was singing a wonderful song of Galatians 5.1 before we started. I threatened to make him sing it now, but we won't. No, no. <laughs> we'll only make you talk about it, Dan, because that is what we're talking about, what's contained in Galatians 5 there. We are going to be talking about the danger called legalism. This quarter, we're focused on the gospel, and when we think of the gospel in a practical sense, it's hard to avoid talking about these two ditches of gospel living. On the one hand, there is a ditch called legalism, which we're talking about today. And then on the other side of the road, there's another ditch, and it is called licentiousness. And we are going to talk about that next week. So this week, the ditch of legalism. Probably this is the one, if you're listening to this, you're more familiar with. Licentiousness might be less familiar, but we've all heard the term legalism, and you might only know that it's bad. It has a negative connotation. But today we want to say, what exactly is legalism and how do we avoid it? So first we want to ask what legalism is. And I'm going to borrow from an Ask Pastor John. If you don't know what that is, those are podcasts actually that are put out or were put out by Pastor John Piper of Bethlehem Baptist Church. He's retired now. But those are great, and they're always just short answers to a question. And someone back in 2013 had asked, what is legalism? And so I'm drawing on that. It's episode 157 of Ask Pastor John. And he basically gives us a definition proper of what legalism is. And then from that draws out a secondary definition which is certainly what most of us mean when we're talking about legalism. So let me just tell you about that. So let's start with this primary proper definition of legalism. I'm just quoting John right here. Quote, Legalism is the conviction that law-keeping is the ground of our acceptance with God. The conviction that law-keeping is the ground of our acceptance with God. So when you're reading the New Testament, this is certainly the predominant danger that Paul is fighting in the New Testament. Coming from his Jewish background, he's trying to convince Jews that keeping for them the law of Moses, but this could apply to any sort of set of religious rules, keeping that law is not enough to make them right with God. So here's just a few passages where Paul's fighting against this kind of legalism. Romans chapter 3 verse 28 you could almost quote anything in Romans and it would be an attack on legalism. But here's 328, quote, We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So that justified, that's acceptance with God, as Piper speaks of it. And how do we get accepted by God? Paul is arguing by faith apart from works of the law. So if you have a conviction that law keeping is the ground of being justified, you're a legalist. Paul says, don't do that. Here's the other popular verse in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
So here, being saved is our acceptance with God. And how do you get that? Not a result of works, not on the basis of law-keeping. Someone today who holds some form of this kind of legalism proper, where someone is teaching, if you want to be right with God, the basis of becoming right with God is obeying rules. So any of the major world religions teaches this, apart from genuine Christianity. They all teach this. That would be heresy. That is very bad. Avoid that. But when most of us talk about legalism in the church, that's not usually what we're actually talking about. We're talking about something that derives from that first definition. And that's what Piper continues to say. He says, secondly, legalism is, quote, the spirit and the life that flow from a failure to be humbled, broken, amazed, and satisfied by the grace of God in Christ. He calls this the spirit of legalism. So there's legalism proper, actual legalism. But then there's also among genuine believers even, what we could call a spirit of legalism, where basically you're living as if you have been saved by works and not by grace. Even if you've trusted in Christ and you have been saved by grace, sometimes we slip into old ways of thinking and we might live as if that were not true. So we're not legalists, but we have the spirit of legalism. I think there's a picture of this even in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then, on the other hand, this is what it looks like if you don't do that. If you bite and devour one another, speaking to Christians, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. I think that would be the spirit of legalism. We eat each other. But to get more specific, um, we have Dan here. And Dan, I want to ask this as a question to you. We're defining legalism and a spirit of legalism, but maybe you could get more practical for us. What does a person with a legalistic spirit or spirit of legalism look like? Well, unfortunately, I have to be honest and say it looks sort of like me. (laughs) Me too. I I think that there are times when we lose our focus on the grace of God in Christ and either we're seeking to perform and add to the work of Christ, as if that's going to make us more righteous, or we look at others and expect them to be doing something different, or they have to work harder to add to what Christ has already accomplished. I, I think of the character on Saturday Night Live, the church lady. This uh, character was called Enid Strict. And she was uptight, smug, and a pious host of her own uh, talk show, Church Chat. Mm -hmm. And she would bring people in, and she would have a smug, holier-than-thou attitude, and basically interview people only for the purpose of calling them out on their sin. But there was a lack of joy and a censoriousness and a a spirit and an attitude of absolutely no love, no, no joy, no life, no passion. You know, there is no humility about this character or grace or patience with others. And again, I think that's what we can fall into. It's, it, it's an us versus them mentality at times. There's, 
there's a propensity for us to see others as less than desirable or unworthy of grace and love because of external issues. Sometimes we can even avoid people who have a different worldview, appearance, or struggle with a visible sin. Well, as a result, people who are deeply hurting due to their own sins or poor choices, they're humiliated and embarrassed around Christian people and may even avoid Christian people. Now, some of that may be just the conviction of the Spirit and a conscience that is quickened where they know that they have been disobedient, but sometimes it can be because we are legalists. And if we're concerned more with being right at the expense of being kind and are smug about our superior Bible knowledge, I think that's when we can look in the mirror and conclude, yeah, we have fallen into legalism. And it's important to draw this distinction between confidence, faith, boldness in proclaiming our message, and simple arrogance. Sometimes those get blended together, or we can justify a spirit of legalism where holier than thou, that's a great phrase to define it. That's how it's thought of. And that's that's right. It's an arrogance. And sometimes we can justify our own arrogance, our own sense of superiority over someone struggling with something we don't struggle with by decrying it boldly in the name of truth and righteousness, there is definitely a time to decry boldly. Usually it's when you come face to face with stubborn unrepentance. Then Jesus, the apostles, they have some harsh words. But Jesus was also someone who, when he found a smoldering wick, he didn't put it out. Or a bruised reed, he didn't break it. And a spirit of legalism will break it and will put it out because you feel superior, or we'll just avoid interacting with people who struggle with certain sins because it seems beneath us. I remember, actually, um, one of the times this came home for me, this was years ago, I remember a couple that I knew who were believers, seemed to be believers, professed faith, I have no idea before God where they stand, but talking with them and interacting with them and watching them on a Sunday morning, just so sweet so kind, so, such gracious words. And I remember um, once I started sitting in the elder meetings, I started seeing some of the emails that were sent by this couple to the elders complaining about what people were doing. And they were harsh, heartbreakingly harsh complaints about using the word potluck or about something that's an important but secondary matter, and we're just put so firmly, so directly, in such a pointed way. I think that is like what you're talking about, a spirit of legalism. It's fine to care about these things, but there's a spirit that is crushing that comes from this sense of superiority on the basis of works. Well, I think we all agree that we don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. Dan doesn't want to be that. You don't want to be that. We don't want to be legalists, proper legalists, and certainly not having a spirit of legalism. Um, and we're going to talk about how to avoid that in just a second. But first, just as one more piece of motivation, if we don't fight our own natural tendency to be holier-than-thou legalists in spirit, what will the consequences be? I've got three here, and there are more. 
I think one of them is that legalism hurts our evangelism. And I have here a quote from Wayne Grudem in his excellent systematic theology. He says, quote, Often there arises an increasingly uncompromising and legalistic insistence on these new rules. So these are new rules that are made up in the church on the part of those who do follow them and genuine fellowship among believers in the church will fade away. Evangelism will often be stifled for the silent proclamation of the gospel that comes from the lives of believers will at least seem to outsiders to include the additional requirement that one must fit this uniform pattern of life in order to become a member of the body of Christ. So just to pick some older issue from the past when drums were a great controversy in the church, whether drums should be included in worship. Certainly something worth considering and discussing theologically when that was first being introduced, but there were some who made not using drums another rule for someone to be a Christian. And the same thing can happen with all sorts of issues that are important but are not essential parts of the gospel. And when that happens, people on the outside are hindered from coming to hear Christ because they're distracted by the extra rules we've added on. Another consequence if we have this spirit of legalism among us, and maybe the biggest consequence is that it will sow division amidst God's people. Uh, Dan, I want to ask this to you. How does legalism encourage unhealthy divisions in the church? You know, it's interesting because this is not something new. This is something that the Apostle Paul wrestled with in the church of Galatia. I mean, the whole book is addressed to a spirit of legalism where people felt that they really needed to complement the works of Christ by the works in the flesh. And in Ephesians, excuse me, in Galatians 5 verse 13, he says that the people in the fellowship could be biting and devouring one another. Why is that? Well, it's because legalism is a system that thrives on personal performance, personal supremacy, and sadly, the trampling of others. It is an environment of competition. We can falsely think that the competition is between us and other people, so we set up rules and tear others down, judging and defrauding one another. This legalism is typically not content to also hold an opinion in isolation. It not only creates a rule for ourselves, but normally wants to make certain that individual convictions become universal convictions. And so through the history of the church, you've had that. One church in Europe believed that you should not drink Coca-Cola. One, drink, one, uh, one church in the United States felt that if you had a Cadillac, you were totally worldly, so you had to avoid you know, having a Cadillac. Uh, and it differs from culture to culture. I remember when I worked at the grocery store back in the day, there was a lady who always came through my line, older lady, clearly Christian, and it would come up, and we I would see her often enough that it would be an encouraging part of the day. We'd talk about Jesus. We'd encourage each other just as I'm checking out her groceries for her until one day. One day, I don't know how it came up, but on that faded day, Christmas came up. And that was a great mistake. Oh, no. And whoever's listening to this, 
you are at liberty to hold differing views on the celebration of Christmas or really any of the holidays. They do have roots in paganism, and for some people, that's enough to warrant not celebrating them. That's completely fine. But it's like what you said, Dan. She didn't celebrate them, but that wasn't enough. She was on a crusade that all might come to a knowledge of the truth that Christmas is one of the most evil things. Christmas trees, all of the paganism. And from then on out, when she would come through the line, she'd bring me papers, highlighted, printed, copied on the roots. And I knew the roots already, I think. I just was okay with the distance being there, so I was all right with that. But it just changed the relationship. It was really sad, and she was very adamant about it, and it really grieved me. But it's like you said, you can have people who seem to have a great spirit of unity, and one of these things comes up. What, what's really wild about your example is that you're sitting across from someone who at Christmas time, I don a, a red and white cap, and I talk with people about St. Nicholas, and I use that as an opportunity to share the gospel of Christ. And so, yes, there may be all of these trappings that engage things, but it can also be for those who are not bound by that particular flavor of legalism as an opportunity to use it as a springboard for the gospel. Because there's not a clear biblical command against celebrating Christmas, that's why we can talk about it as brothers, and you can don your red cap, and it's not heresy. And But a legalist would take something that may be important. There may be important wisdom considerations here, like, will this be most helpful for people if we celebrate this, so forth. That's worth talking about. But someone will take a wisdom matter and elevate it, turn the dial up to 11, and now it's basically treated like a matter of heresy. If you don't adhere to it, you're not adhering to the gospel. That's legalism. You've created this new rule. I mean, I remember my parents, when they first came to Christ, burnt a Santa Claus figurine <laughs> in their zeal for Christ. And there's something about me that really loves that. They celebrate Christmas now. But it was just a zeal of like, paganism? I had no idea. Burn this thing. I just think that's very precious. So I, I really, we're not saying this so that if you don't celebrate Christmas, you should feel bad. No, maybe you're right. Let's talk about that. But it is not a law of Christ. So don't add it and require it of others. So hurts evangelism, sows division. One last quick consequence if we have a spirit of legalism is it does steal away joy. It is a yoke too much for any of us to bear. If you add rule upon rule, God does not promise to empower his people to overcome sins that are not actually sins or to obey commands that are not actually commands. I like to borrow the words of a very poor definition of Puritanism. I do not believe this about Puritanism. but No, it's a, you should not. <laughs> it is not true of Puritanism, but it would be true of legalism. And the definition was legalism, Puritanism in that case, but legalism is the haunting fear that someone, somewhere, may be happy. <laughs> and of course, one definition of legalism or a legalist is someone who's simply more holy than I am. Yep. You can think of Scrooge, you know. He's just upset that anybody's happy. I don't, he's not happy. No one can be happy. Something's wrong with everyone. So we certainly do not want to be legalists. Let's commit ourselves to not do that and not have this spirit of legalism. The ground around the cross is 
level. We are all in the same place. We are sinners receiving the same grace from Christ, and we ought to act like it. Dan, I want to end this podcast by asking you this very important question, which is how do we avoid legalism and the spirit of legalism in our own lives, and how do we avoid it as a local church? Well, I think we go back to what we started in our discussion, is that we need, as individuals and as fellowships, to remember the grace of God that was given to each one of us, that it was not our works that generated righteousness. We need to continue to stay humble, knowing, as you just said, Bryce, that we all continue to sin against God and against others. And I think it's important to remember what Jesus said in Mark 9 as he was going to Capernaum. And he was asking the disciples, hey, boys, what what were you talking about on the way here? And of course, they were all shy and reluctant to say that they were talking about who was the greatest among them. Jesus talks about this child and the child being an example of how to receive Christ. Now, immediately after, the next verse, John says to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. He was not in our church. He did not have our logo. And Jesus said, do not hinder him. He who is not against us is for us. And then he said those memorable words. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if, with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. So that idea of adding extra burdens, especially upon other believers, young believers, is something that Christ took very seriously. We cannot we must we, we must avoid a partisan, divisive, xenophobic view that we, our church, our denomination is right. At the same time, we should personally not give up on the progress and drive for our own personal holiness. We do need to recognize that there is a difference in the walk, the obedience, the progress of others, and thus be an encouragement to others who are making progress and be thankful for that. I I think that, to me, those are some of the ways that we can avoid legalism and instead reflect the mercy of grace and grace that God has given us in Christ. May God grant us just that attitude. Someone listening to this in the past may have been the person in the grocery store trying to convince with all your fervent might the evils of Santa Claus and Christmas pushing that upon other people, or you may in the past have just thought of yourselves as superior to the people around you. You won't say it because you're a Christian, but you may feel that, that you're superior because of your lifestyle and you're not struggling with what others are struggling with. These might have been things that you thought in the past, but with God's help, may we all now think this way. Mm